This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Grace and Truth Living hosted a track called Women's Discipleship. As you know, memorizing scripture is an important part of discipleship. Well, Joanne Kraft from Grace and Truth Living, who facilitated this track, put together a nifty PDF download of 42 scriptures, and these are available to you for free through discipleship.org. And what's great is that you can just print them off anywhere in the world. This PDF is available for download through discipleship.org slash grace and truth. So go online and download their free PDF at discipleship.org slash grace and truth. Grace and truth is one word, by the way. Now here's the track session for Grace and Truth Living. So before we start, we're going to just pray and then I'll introduce myself and we'll get started. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this opportunity to be with other women that love Jesus, that love you. How exciting that is, Lord. Thank you for every person that has put aside their busy schedules and have chosen to learn more and to be um, a growing Christian today and tomorrow by being a part of discipleship now. So I'm just so grateful for each and every woman that you have selected in each seat, Lord. And I pray that you would bless them as they hear about the millennials. Most importantly, Holy Spirit, speak and change us forever. We don't want to be the same. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hi, I'm Jamie Hall, and I get very passionate and very excited. So if you are feeling like you needed a nap, you will not need it. (laughs) for this hour. But before I introduce myself and tell you all about my life, uh, before we get into the millennials, I thought I'd share with you and introduce you to my pastor. So meet Pastor Aaron. And I love my pastor, not because he said that, but because he loves discipleship and mentoring as well. So let's see. Okay, Matt, thank you so much. I prayed for Matt to be so great. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. This is how I wanted to start because, you know, you can't listen to someone if you don't know they are supported by their church and that their pastor believes in what they're doing. So discipleship is so important and I'm so passionate about it. I guess that kind of shows. But what I wanted to tell you is something very exciting. 75%. Hmm. Now, 75% of what is what you're thinking? right? 75% of, well, we're going to talk about the millennials today. 75% in seven years, 75% of the millennials will be the workforce. They will be the workforce, 75%. So get those numbers straight. Now that's workforce. That means politicians. That means your doctors, your lawyers. That means your church staff. That means your children's ministries your women's ministries. It means the people in the church, outside the church, and everywhere they go. 75% of the entire world. And that's because the millennials right now are the largest generation in history. That's not something to just ignore. That's a call from God. You know, Titus 2, we all know Titus 2 says that the woman is supposed to mentor the or pour into the, the women and the men into the men. And there's nowhere in that in that verse that it says, if you feel like it, or that it's an option. I think we forgot that. And we kind of just, I don't know how we did it, but as a church body, we've kind of skipped over Titus 2. 
we're not doing it. And so when we think about all of these numbers, we also then go to 27%. Oh my goodness, 27%? What is 27? 27% of the millennials have left the church. Wow, that's a big number, 27%. And the media keeps telling us about it. Of course, I do all my research on generations by doing, going to Barna, which you'll want to do, um, and also Pew Research, you want to look at that. But 27% of the millennials, they have left the church. And I have a big question for all of us. So church, what are you doing with the 73% of the millennials that are staying? Right? If 27 left, 27% left, that means that 73% have not left God. They're still there. They're still interested. They're not making that 27%. What are we doing with them? That's what's so exciting. We have a chance to pour into them, to love them, and to move in their lives and change them. Now, if that 73% doesn't just knock your socks off, hey, you know what? 70% of the millennials right now, since they did this study in 2015, and it just keeps growing little by little, but 70% of the millennials volunteer every year for a cause, for something. 70% of them. We don't have those numbers in any other generation. Also, and this one's really a really exciting thing, 85% of the millennials last year gave to a cause, gave money to a cause. Now, you'll notice I didn't say they gave money to the church. I said they gave it to a cause, okay? So what's going on there? Well, the exciting thing is they're not hoarding it, but they need direction, They need your input. You see, the millennial generation does not need your information. This is the information generation. I'll give you an example. If a millennial mom is in the middle of the night and her child has a very high fever, the first thing she does is what? Absolutely. She's going to Google first, find out how she can get through the night, And then in the morning, she might call her mom or an aunt, or she'll definitely call her doctor. But she's not thinking about getting grandma up from the bed. The first thing they do is they just pull their phone, which is right beside them on their end table, and they pull it off. Excuse me. And they Google it. Now, all of us know that all of us Google, too. When we want to know something, we Google it. This is the first generation where pastors and women's ministry leaders have to watch what we say. When we say John 3.16, that's very well known. But if you give out a different one, let's say you choose Psalm 16.6. The boundaries God has set before you are in pleasant places. Great is your inheritance. You know what they're going to do while they're sitting there? They're going to Google to see if you gave the right reference. Now, that shouldn't scare us. Actually, that excites me. That keeps us on our toes. We're not giving bad references. Now we understand a little bit about what the millennials are doing. And so, wow, well, what are we going to do with that? Well, I have millennial children. How many of you have any millennial children? Okay. And then how many of you have millennial grandchildren? Okay. And then how many of you in here are millennials? Woohoo! Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Praise the Lord. So... I wish that I was being interviewed by Fox and Friends or one of the CNN or one of them because all they ever do is tell us that the millennials are terrible, lazy, entitled, all of that. I'm here to tell you that, mm, no, that's not all of them. 
No, 69% of the men and women fighting in Afghanistan right now are millennials. That's not lazy. That's not entitled. They're willing to die for us. So we have to take a step back and say, okay, use your discernment when you hear how terrible they are. So I shared with you about um, our church's Avenue South. And Church at Avenue South is a plant um, down in the metro area of Nashville. And that is a plant by Brentwood Baptist. Praise God, they have vision to plant other churches and to grow. And our church, um, Avenue South, that Aaron is our pastor. And he has been so, so kind and so um, incredibly supportive to getting his students, I'm sorry, his millennials, his adults, everyone that comes there to be discipled, that we would mentor them. And so we have about 500 people come to us on a Sunday morning. We're a new church, only about three years old. So, but that isn't bad for 500. Out of the 500, we have about 70% of them are millennials. Okay, millennials are very, very important to God, so they should be to the church. So we pour into those millennials and we have a program that I coordinate. It's all I do is coordinate it. It's called mentoring relationships. And what's so exciting is that we just the month of October assigned 13 more pairs of millennials with their mentor or their discipler. So and that brought us up to 180. So if you can imagine out of 500, I have 180 meeting weekly or bi-weekly, one-on-one. That's the little difference. Hey, praise the Lord. So it's 36% of, my, of our entire church is meeting one-on-one. Now we do have life groups and we also have Bible study fellowship. Now, so what our staff has decided is that we're gonna offer them three things. You either get together one-on-one, you get together in groups of three or four, which is what we call our Bible study reading groups. Or you get in a big group, which is your life group. And then we say to them, doesn't matter if you're an introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter, whatever you need, do one of those. So 36% are really being growing. Now, the great thing about when you do one-on-one with your discipleship is that both sides win. You see, the people that are being the mentor, the person that's being the discipler, they're praying up. Their, their life is fresh and vital because they never know what's going to come to the table when they meet one-on-one. So they've got to stay prayed up. They've got to stay in the word. They've got to grow. And then we have that young millennial, or it doesn't even matter. We could be, for instance, we had a, a woman come to the Lord and she was about 62. So, so we were able to put her with someone that wasn't even as old as her. Because remember, the person that's discipling or the person that's mentoring is a mature Christian willing to grow and has been further along in their walk with the Lord down the road. Doesn't have to have gray hair, just has to have a walk that's growing with the Lord. That's a key, key word there, is that that is someone who has been with the Lord a longer walk, but most importantly, is still growing. And the millennials, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone who's still growing. What does that mean? Well, reading books maybe listening to podcasts, you know, that kind of thing. Um, They would love for you to maybe, or anyone that's discipling them to maybe go to events, get out, know what's going on in the world, um, pay attention to what's going on because they're in the middle of it. You know, when they go to get the Coke in the office, everyone's talking about the terrorist attack 
or everyone's talking about a homosexual attack or whatever the case may be. So, so if we're not growing as a church, if we're not relevant and authentic, they're not interested. So maybe is that why we're still missing those 27%? And that 27% that I gave you that fact, well, those are people that did come to church. Remember, this is people that did come to church and they willingly walked out. This is not someone who didn't have a relationship or at least didn't grow up that they were going to church. These are people that have pulled out and said, I'm not doing that anymore. Now, why do you think, what, do you know any scenarios? Does anything come to mind that would make them say, this is just all fake? I'm, I'm not doing this. What, what can, can any of you throw out? What would it be that they're seeing in the church that they're leaving? Okay, hypocrisy. I'm sorry? Judgment. Judgment. Right. Judgment. Well, go ahead. Right. Remember now, these are 70% of them went out and volunteered for something. Most of the time it's for homeless, to build wells, to do something for someone else. See, they think it's very cool that we do missionary work, that we go on missions. But they've watched. They've sat back as a child, grown up watching that when someone went on a mission trip and came back, guess what they did? That mission trip came back and off they went. Mission trip. Right? They, they didn't stay in touch with one person back there. They're not writing letters back to the missionary to support them and to get in, or they're never going back. To, well, I shouldn't say never because uh, there's always rules. Uh, I mean, people always do some things, which is maybe they never went back. They just check the list. Well, discipleship and mentoring our millennials, they make it very clear. It is not a checklist and it's not a formula. It's a relationship. They want a relationship. And that is so important. So why am I so passionate about millennials? I want to show you why. So 73% are at the church. This is my, um, my girls in my family. I have three children, two boys and a girl. So on the left, that's Sarah, my, my daughter-in-law married to Jason. In the middle in the red, that's Joanna. That's my daughter. And then on the right, on the far right is Lauren. She's married to my oldest. And then I have two of my grandchildren there. And as you can see, Piper said, I'm not getting my picture taken. That's that. So she turned her head away, but that's okay because I have her in another one. And that's Gabriella. We are at Gabriella's um, dance performance and Sarah is holding our little Sutton. So now these are my guys on the far left. That's my husband, um, John. And then we have Skylar, who is Joanna's husband, my son-in-law. And then my oldest right there is Jared. And then on the end is my middle child, Jason. And all of those, um, I I haven't even told you how I came to know the Lord, which we're going to get to really quick because it's part of why I'm so passionate But um, I'm a singer and a Broadway dance kind of person. So all of them are singers, but they decided they couldn't make any money at that. So they decided to do other things. Here are my grandkids. So we have Piper, Gabriella, Sutton, and then the little baby, that is Max. But Max, this is a year old. So Max is all grown up. So there's Max. And he's my sweetheart. And he's with the only other little boy in our lives, our dog, Rascal. You know, those are reasons, those are really good reasons to be passionate because what is so exciting is that Matthew, excuse me, in Matthew, God says that you must change and come as a little child or you will never inherit the kingdom. He says never inherit the kingdom. So little children are very important to God. Little children sometimes don't grow up. 
But sometimes we understand that we have missed it. We've missed the mark. We've kind of just said, oh, well, they come to church and they'll know what to do. And they're going to all follow us and follow grandma and grandpa. And it doesn't always happen that way, doesn't. Some are so blessed, but not everybody does that. So millennials are really important to me, but I want to tell you all about my story. So I went... I was born and raised in a little town in Pennsylvania, and we were a little country town, but my mother was a singer, and she uh, led all of the children's ministry, all of the, um, everything except for adult choir. My mom was running the music, and it was so much fun to be there because she would do musicals because that was her background, so so did I. So we did all of that, and I would do musicals at school, and you know, I was, I was trained. I went to, we lived near, we were right on the border of Maryland and Pennsylvania. So I went to Baltimore to get my training. No one else did that, but my mom was from the Maryland area. So that was very common for her. She felt comfortable there. So as a trained singer, dancer, all that stuff, I thought, I know what, I'm going to go to Broadway and I'm going to be a Broadway star. That's what I'm going to do. And so after graduation from high school, that's what I did. I, I tried one school and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So I ended up Um, well, I auditioned and made it into New York University. And I thought, well, this is fabulous. So I thought, I I really am good. This is really great. So I got to New York City. And in the first month, I already found out that, hey, everybody's good in New York City. (laughs) Oh, Jamie, you have got to be kidding me. So I read in the paper an audition um, advertisement. It said, Five four to five six. Well, I'm five four and a half, so I thought I can do that. Um, a belter, dance, act, and a brunette. See, that was the key. Okay, all right. They might as well have put Jamie on there. So I went to the audition, opened the door, and believe it or not, there must have been fifty other women that looked just like me. Very talented. And that was when the down spiral started. I got very depressed. And I also thought I was disconnected because there were millions of people there. I was a country girl and they nicknamed me, and all of you would laugh, but they nicknamed me Loretta Lynn. I was not a Loretta Lynn. I was from Pennsylvania. I wasn't from the South, but that's okay. I am from the South now. And they don't, still don't call me Loretta Lynn down here. But, um, so I just feel disconnected, dis- disillusioned. And I didn't really know what was going on. Now, all along, I thought I knew all about God because I'd gone to church to do that. But I had not realized, I had no idea that you had to have a relationship. No one ever, we just didn't talk about that. We didn't, we had Bibles in the Sunday school classroom that was on the back table, but we didn't take our Bibles to school to our church to read. It was in the pew, but I don't remember ever opening it. We always sang the hymnals, but I never opened the Bible. So um, so John, my husband, uh, we are high school sweethearts. So he came up to the city to see what the country girl was doing. And so what happens is that um, someone invited us to a a Christian concert. Well, I thought that was my comfort zone. I, I know music and church, got this. I went there and we were sitting in a very large church, but everybody knew the music. Everybody was singing. Everybody had this joy, and I didn't have it. I didn't know what they had, but I knew I wanted it. So at the end, the entertainer gave his um, testimony and and explained salvation, and John and I looked at each other, and he was from a a Catholic church. I was from a different church, and we said, that's what's missing. Never heard this stuff before. And so we put our hands up. The very next morning, John went back to Pennsylvania, and I went to Times Square. I just walked out of my dorm, walked up to Times Square, and decided I need some help. 
I went into a church that was inside an old theater. So again, speaking my love language, we had the curtain, the chandelier, the theater seats, but different is that everybody there singing the songs, they know what's going on and I don't. So when it was over, I slipped out and went right down the aisle and told the pastor, I need help. I I thought I was a Christian, I'm not. So I need someone to help. Now this church was really unique and this is where I want you to listen up. This church decided if God sent them someone, they were not going to put them in a classroom, give them a book, make them a member, or tell them to come back next week. At that very moment, I was assigned a woman to pour into me. So I thought, as I learned, oh, this is what the real Christian church does. They put people together to do life together so that when you're really fighting with your husband, you want to kill him or no, I don't want to do that. But you're really thinking this is not working. You would have a mentor to work it out. Now, my mentor was not matched up with me. They didn't have me fill out papers and they didn't have me do all that stuff. You know, they've been already prayed up. They're already believing God to send them someone. I wasn't a surprise. That's the biggest thing that we church has to remember. So all of you that are doing women's ministry, we don't want to be surprised. We want to be ready and waiting for that person to come and be ready with your mentors or with your disciplers. So Jeannie was my first and still is in my life uh, mentor, discipler. Jeannie was going through a really tough time in her life. She was going through a divorce. Um, She has never had children. I've never been divorced and I have three children. You see, we didn't fill out a form that said, are you like, because we didn't need to. We had one thing in common and that was Jesus. We both loved the Lord. We both wanted to grow. So that's what's so exciting about it. Now, over the years and over the time, I did have other mentors for every season of life. But when John and I got married, we moved up and down the East Coast. And every time we'd go into a church, decide we had a family, church family, I'd go up and I'd say, okay, we're newlyweds and we need a mentor. And they'd say, well, that's great. If you find somebody, you know, everybody's busy right now, but let us know or something like that. You know, it just wasn't something there. And I thought, oh, this, this church in New York was a little bit different. And so I was like all of you do. I was complaining to God. And I was saying, I'm tired of this. I want someone to pour in my life. I don't want to do life alone. And Jeannie is awesome, but she's long distance. I want someone face to face, someone to pour into my life. And you know, only God does this. Remember now, when you're complaining or when you're talking, some people say, I don't know if it's the devil or if it's God, right? Well, the devil says, you're a loser. When you give him, he doesn't give you solutions. He just tells you, Oh, and it's down, 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 down. But when I said this to the Lord, you know what he said? You know what? You've had plenty of pouring into. It's time for you to pour into the next generation. So that's what I just started doing. So we moved back to Pennsylvania and I opened a performing arts school and um, it was really a, a great thing. I ended up mentoring and discipling people in the class and then their parents. And, you know, we just, that's what we did. We kept passing it on and on. And so you may think that, The numbers that we have at Avenue South are odd, that they're rare. And, you know, honestly, I go around and do trainings. I was in upstate New York, and and their numbers weren't as big, but they were were slightly, um, they were just getting started. My niece's church in Florida is booming, and they are trying to get it started. But I had the joy of my life. My husband and I did a conference, or went to a conference in Seattle this past week. 
And we have, Pastor Aaron has a friend in Seattle that has a church, but it was 30 miles uh, away from downtown. So we were going to drive there, but it snowed. So we couldn't go. Um, we didn't know how bad it was, but being in a rental and everything, we were not going to try and, and do that. So we just started praying. We said, Lord, could we have a church that's really rocking that's just in walking distance? And ladies, when we do this, and gentlemen, when we do this, God just blows your mind. But I walked into a church that looked just like, kind of like Avenue South. And we, uh, my husband's an early bird, so we were not late. We were early. And you know, I don't, millennials, forgive me, but at least in the city, we, they come in just in time. So they're not late. They just come in five of, you know, or two of. So, um, so anyway, we were sitting there and very excited. But then the, all of these millennials started coming in. It was so awesome. And this church was full of it. Now, I know you're going to want to know what was the name of that church. And it was called Downtown Cornerstone Community Church. And it was great. So um, the music was nice, nothing outlandish, nothing. And the, you know, they had some scripture readings where they had um, it on the screen so that we would read it. But then the pastor got up and said, okay, I'm starting a new series and it's on Job and it's going to be on suffering. And I didn't know it at the time, but at the very time he was teaching us on Job 1 and 2, the shooting was happening in Texas. So it's very timely and we now reflecting back on it. But this is the key. This is what you want to hear. When the pastor said, open your Bibles to Job 1 and 2, guess what? All those millennials, they had their Bibles. Every one of them opened their Bible. A couple of them that I could see had apps, but almost all of them had their Bibles. And then as he started giving us, you know, notes and talking to us about it, they got out something else. They got out their journal. And I, you know, because you can't do this because you don't want to ruin their privacy, but I wanted to take a picture so bad. I wanted to say, look at all these. Look, look. And I wanted to send it to all the news people that tell us our millennials don't love the Lord. That's not true, is it? No, not at all. The millennials do love the Lord. So I don't know what your church is like. I don't know where you're at. We're going to have a Q&A and you can ask me anything and everything you want. But be encouraged, ladies and gentlemen, because the millennial generation is not what we're hearing. They do love the Lord. Some of them tell me, Jamie, I left the church, but I didn't leave God. I just don't like the people in that church. Not one of them have talked to me. Nobody knows my name. The guy at the bar knows what I, more about me than the church does. So I'm not going to go because I'm not going to be fake. I'm going to be real. So we have to um, just step back. And most importantly, we just have to repent. We just have to say, okay, you know what? Hands up. You're right. And, and not all the people of all churches are, are fake. Not all people. We just have to know that we're going to have to talk about this in order to get back God's generation back into his church. So, okay, so that's where this story goes that, um, so everyone says to me, oh my goodness, aren't you excited? You have a book with M Moody Publisher? That's so fabulous. And I called it Face to Face, Discover How Mentoring Can Change Your Life. And everyone said to me, your dream has come true. And I said, no, no, not really. My dream was to be a Broadway musical. I mean, a Broadway star. <laughs> and guarantee you, my mother always taught me everybody else was going to write the lyrics and the songs and the, and the script for me. I didn't have to worry about anything. So, but she was not correct. She also 
came to the Lord through her cancer. So I, I know that this is hard to hear, but I, I praise the Lord for every suffering little bit of what we had. Both my parents are with the Lord, but it came through cancer. Um, so the other thing I want to share with you is that God is my director and my producer. God has written my script. And what my parents thought was, oh, I love you, Jamie, but you've wasted all that talent. You're not, you're not on the stage. Well, see, God didn't want me on the stage. He wants to be on the stage. And so I'm so grateful to be here with you today. This is such an incredible opportunity. And Joanne has been so kind to let me talk to you about millennials. And we've got to get right to it. So I want to show you, I've told you what, God, what I know of discipleship and, and reaching the millennials. But what does God say? So Psalm 78, 4, 7, and 8. We will not hide them from the descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Is that the most beautiful thing you've ever read? It is for me. That my Savior thought of, he knew we'd need this reminder, and he's saying, even the children yet to be born, and that they then would tell their children. So when people say, why are you so passionate? Because we've got to tell the next generation. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We've got to go on. We've got to tell them. So in Luke, we have Elizabeth and Mary. And I know Joanne um, in the last session went through the whole story of Elizabeth and Mary, which is so beautiful. And so I'm not going to go through that. But Elizabeth, she had spent a lifetime of waiting. Okay. She's been a lifetime waiting. She was from, she was the wife of a priest. So she is probably most likely very mature. She's waited. She has all of that years and years of God stories, years and years of experience. And so that's why it makes total sense to me that God would send Mary, a millennial, younger believer, who desperately needs someone mature. And now here's my question. I would love for you to tell me, what do you think Mary asked Elizabeth? What do you think? What were some of that? What was that conversation? Come on, you know what she was asking. What was she asking? Yeah, can you believe this just happened to me? Okay. Why would God choose me? Why? Yeah. Why would God choose me? Oh, why didn't he? And then she probably maybe named some of her friends, thinking they're just as good, maybe even feeling a little guilty about that. What else? How am I going to tell my mom? Oh, yes. How am I going to tell my mom? What else? Come on. Amen. What are they going to think about me? What's it like to be pregnant? Okay. What's it like to be pregnant? She's very young. She would not have been around long enough to know all those answers. What else? How about in the back of the room? What else would Elizabeth and Mary be talking about? What about Joseph, right? What if the guy doesn't want to marry me? I mean, he doesn't have to. So then that we have those questions of, and how... This is the biggest question I get from millennial moms. How do, how am I going to be a good parent? I, I, I already feel guilty. I, I, I can't do this. I, I have, how am I going to be a good parent? Is it possible for me to parent God? 
Can you imagine all those conversations? Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven and talk about all that. That would be so much fun. Okay, now another God story, another example, and it's on your sheet, is Philip and and the Ethiopian. Philip is just a new believer, and he's just, oh, he's so ready. And God shows up to him and says, go. And if you look at the scripture later on, he goes immediately. Um, And he goes to meet the Ethiopian and the greatest scripture of all time for what we're talking about. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian sets it up. How am I supposed to know unless someone explains it to us? And then the next line is, Philip sat in the chariot and started talking to him and explaining the scripture to him. Okay, he didn't say, "Um, would you come to my house, please? He got right where he was, right there, right then, and did it. And so I want to encourage you. This is what we've got to do with our women and the men with their men. We've got to, if you'll look at Mary and at at Philip, both of them were told something and then they immediately went. So in other words, when you look at Mary, the angel says, you know, and your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. The very next verse says, she went. Okay, and she went from here all the way across to here. Okay, so this is the discipler, and this is the person that says, I need help. And what the difference from here to here, whether it's them coming here or, you, or them going there. This is Philip, right? He's going to go over here. But this is Mary. He, what did both of those sides do? They went the extra mile. They went the extra mile. They didn't hold on and wait till the time was right. They didn't wait for their schedule to lighten up. They went the extra mile. So I want you to just think about the extra mile that you can do. You can just by pouring into one person and be encouraged because God will give you all you need. Now, I don't know, but I never want to assume that all of you know what generation you are or what the other generations that we have came from. So that's what we're going to go over right now. So if you look on your sheet, you're going to need to take notes because I didn't give you the answers. I just gave you the chart. Okay, the silent generation. Okay, the silent generation is 71 and over, and they are from 1928 to 1945. They are, their key word, this is at the first little arrow, their key word is loyal. Then the next thing is, what were they influenced by? They were the World War I and II, the Great Depression. And then what is their statement? Their statement, the next arrow, is waste not, want not. And then we have the next thing is they have all their faith is in institutions. Okay? In the institution. The next one is they hate. That's a strong word. So let's just say they don't like. They strongly don't like change. They don't like change at all. They don't like change. And then they want a legacy. They're uh, family focused and they like to put their money away and save it. Because remember now, they came from the Great Depression. So they're going to hold on to cash. (coughs) So that's who the silent generation is. That's pretty exciting. You can see, think of someone over 70 and they fit into that. Okay. Silent generation is very clearly, my parents never talked to me about sex. Ever. Never. Um, my parents, um, really, they loved their church. They loved their church. They, the church was not always good to them, or I shouldn't say that. It just was a, a 
we might have had, I don't know, in my lifetime while I was there as a kid, 10 or 12 pastors. They just like couldn't keep things going because they would vote people in and out all the time. But I, unfortunately for us, um, I, had, I have two sisters, an older and a younger. I'm the middle child. But we also, I have a brother on both sides. Um, my older brother died at 10 with a brain tumor. And then my younger brother died at 13 days with a heart condition. So within two years, I was one when my older brother died. And then in another year and a half, my mom got pregnant and that brother died. So within two and a half years, my parents buried both sons. So they ran, praise God, to the church. They didn't go away from God or put their fists up. So you can see my parents were very loyal to that church. They had ties there that they were going through. And all of you could share your stories too. Then we have the baby boomers. Now they're 53 to 70 and give or take they're 1946 to 1964. Their key word, first arrow, optimist. Next one is they went through, their influence was the Watergate, Vietnam, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what their, their whole influence was. Their statement is build a stellar career. And then they are uh, very competitive and they question all authority. That's what we have for our baby boomers. They were known as, and by the way, I'm a baby boomer. So they were known as the me generation. Yeah, the me generation. They had the highest divorce rate and they, with money they did buy now, pay later kind of thing. So that's where we see the baby boomers. So um, baby boomers right now probably um, are facing something new in their lives. They're facing not all, all of them, but some of them are getting close to being an empty nester, something new. But they're also sandwiched in the middle where they're taking care of children and they're also taking care of their older um, parents. So Gen X, they are 36 to 53 years old. They are 1965 to 1980. Their key word is skepticism. Mm-hmm. Their influence was civil rights, energy crisis, MTV, Game Boy, all of that stuff, and then the sexual re- revolution. So their statement is build balance between work and life. They wanted to, uh, to build some um, uh, balance there. They are what we called latchkey kids. Do you remember that old saying? They're latchkey kids. They came home to an empty home um, from school. And they also, um, during their growing up years, the divorce rate in the church tripled. In the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in the church. Now, all of that is redeemable. God always is a restorer, redeemer. He is there for you. So if you're coming from a family that your parents were divorced or that you are divorced, now remarried, it does not, we're not saying naughty, naughty. This is not, I'm just telling you what this generation has gone through. How can you disciple someone if you don't understand their generation? It's really important to do that. Okay, then we have the millennials. Now the millennials key word is realistic, authentic. Their influence is digital media. They also did 9-11 terrorist attacks, and they are very, um, been very influenced by natural disasters. They've seen tsunamis. They've seen all of that. I know all of us have, but we're talking about as a child now. Okay, then their statement is, I want work to mean something. That's what the millennial wants. They want work to be meaningful. Now, they have expanded technology, and they're diversified. They are most concerned, and this is very interesting, but they're most concerned about personal security or safety. That's what they're really concerned about. So I just got a text 
um, yesterday from someone that said, we have to meet. My sister is paralyzed, is not going to go anywhere since the shooting in Texas. So we need to talk, Jamie. What do I tell her? Give me some, you know, uh, scriptures. How do I get through this with her? So um, now, uh, just a little note. I want you to put a little arrow at the bottom of the, or at the top. But there is something we have now created between Gen X and the millennials, believe it or not. And they are called exennials. An X and then ennials. And we are, we are doing this because... Um, when I say we, I feel like I'm, I study them so much that I didn't do the, the uh, research. They did. But um, they are between the year of 1976 and 1985. So what you're seeing is they're half of the, they're the end of the X's and at the beginning of the millennials. So they're not really all millennials because a true millennial starts with digital. But um, they're the end of the millennials, they didn't get all the digital stuff until they graduated from college. Facebook didn't happen until they, I see them, they're nodding their heads. Yes, that is right. Okay, so they didn't get Facebook and all that stuff until they got out of college. Then they had to learn really quick in order to keep their jobs. Okay, so they still have all that digital stuff. But that is where they're at. So we, they, and the other thing is that an older millennial, because they're, they're so influenced by the, what the media says, they don't even really want to be called a millennial because they're not lazy, so they don't want to be called that. So I think in, in grace and, and just leaning over a little bit for them, they call them exennials now. <clears throat> Isn't that funny? So, all right, so now that's who they are, and now you know who you are. So before we go any further, who in here is, I already asked for the millennials. So, okay, how about Gen Xers? Okay, and then the baby boomers. Okay, very good. All right, so you can see we got a good variety here. So now I'm going to give you four different categories. So you need to make notes at the bottom or something, but this are going to be five things that they, the millennials desire in a working relationship when it comes to mentoring or discipleship. All right, so number one is that you have to be a safe person. They need to be able to tell you anything or ask you anything. You have to be a safe person and it has to be a safe place. Church has to be a safe place where they're not going to be like um, the gentleman in the back when you shouted out judgment, where you're not going to judge them. Okay, this is new for who? Which one of the generations are not used to just saying what you did that's wrong or dealing with some sin? Who would that be? Silence. Yeah, they're like, whoa. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. I met for a long time with this one millennial and she really struggled with a lot. Really bad stuff that you and I think so. But God just healed her and miraculously changed her life. But halfway through it, she said, you know, and, and sometimes the, your mentoring or your discipleship doesn't take much. It's not high maintenance. Some of them are. But it doesn't matter. We don't get the choice. You know, if you really ask God, he'd probably say every one of us are high maintenance <laughs> when it comes to something. So, so, but she said, Jamie, I know I pay my therapist to meet with me. So I get that. And then I have my counselor and the, you know, I have some insurance that pays for that. I know why the therapist gets paid by me, my counselor. And then even when they bring in the family, I, the insurance is paying for that. I get it. But I dump on you week after week after week. And I have never paid you anything. Why do you still meet with me? 
And you know what? You have to say to them because that's what Jesus would do. He wouldn't say, this will be. Now, I, um, don't read into anything. I, therapy is necessary. Counseling is necessary. I love all. I have, um, I have people that are in that that are best friends. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they are just dying for someone just to love them for who they are. And not, I, see, I met with her every week and expected nothing back. Now, um, not all of my mentoring relationships and I've done, I don't know, I guess I could sit down and think, but you know, 35 years of mentoring is a long time, so maybe hundreds. But not all of them end up really great. Not all of them do, okay? You could pour into someone for a long, 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 long time and then they say, I'm done with you and walk away from you. It doesn't matter to me because I have to be obedient. I have to follow what the Lord says. And then, and again, we have that grace and truth. I love your name of your ministry, Joanne. You know, we have that grace and truth that the Lord does. Whenever the Lord met anyone, he gave them truth. He said, you know, no, that's a sin or whatever. But then he always gave him grace and he gave them a solution. That's what the Lord does. He always gives us. So, so number one is safe place. Number two is authentic. They desire you to drop your religious mask. Number three They require and would love to have a lifelong learner in their life. And we talked about that. Someone who is learning and growing. So not someone that's been in the pew, sitting in the same pew all their lives and has never done one growing Bible study or anything. That's not what they're looking for. And you know what? I'm glad because that means that whoever that is, whatever generation, could be a baby boomer, could be Gen X, you're going to have to grow. Well, you know what? That's what we're supposed to do. This is not a bad thing. Thank goodness the millennials are doing this for us. I really think they're going to save the church. I know that's radical, but yes, I do. Okay, number four. Number four is mutual respect. They do not want to be treated like a child. And they don't want to be treated like they are not intelligent. Just side note, the millennials are probably one of the most knowledgeable, educated group that we have so far. I'm sure Gen Z will be, but the millennials um, are doing that. You know, I'm, I have all these beautiful, oh, look at that, all the things that I was telling you. Oh, oh, okay, so I'm going to go back and I'll change it once in a while. There's all the words for silent, so in case you want to just double check that while I talk. Okay, so number five is patience in the journey, but they don't want to be your checklist. Now, this is where I lose a lot of my trainees. Number five, yeah, this, this, uh, patience, I'm just doing it right now, yes. Patience in the journey. This is where I'm, uh, there's two places I always lose um, my audience. One is I say, one-on-one. That's what you need to do, one-on-one. And then two, I say, they always say the next question was, okay, but how long do I have to do this? (laughs) And then I say the thing that they just are like, you're kidding me, and which is the rest of your life. The rest of your life. Okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say that you are my daughter. Okay, I'll, I'll go over here. You're my daughter. Let's say you're both my daughters. Um, When they become 21 and 25, do I write them off and never call them again? Never see them again? No, of course not. You could even do that with your sweetest, lovable cousin or a nephew. You know, you gave them a graduation gift and now they're in college. If you really love them, 
you probably kind of check up on them, even if it's just a Christmas card. But you're never going to disown a fellow believer in Christ. So they say, okay, lifetime, I can't do only one person then. But this is what I want you to know. As a discipler, you are growing yourself out of a job. Okay, you want to get yourself out of a job. You want to meet with that person, train them, grow them, pour into them. But you want to have a purpose, which is for them to grow. And that they get so strong in the Lord that they become a discipler or a mentor. Okay, so now what's happened? I say, I think you're ready. I want you to go ahead and pray and ask God to use you in a mighty way. And as he does, now I'm going to stay in touch with her because I love her and I'm going to move. But I'm going to what? I have to go on. Jamie can't mentor the world. So I've got to grow people into being mentors. That's what we have to do in our churches. Teach them and have a purpose. Now, here is a, a key. If you and the person that you're mentoring or discipling, if after six months, I didn't even say three months, but after three to six months, if you and they have not grown one thing, then you're not doing it. It's not right. This is a friendship. This is not challenging and growing. Okay, so in other words, if you, um, well, most of the time, the first thing anyone says to me when we're working on is, I just can't get a daily devotional. I can't, I mean, like, I'll do it for maybe two weeks, and then I put it down, I forget, or I get a new job, and I just, I don't meet the Lord every day. I just can't do it. Can you help me that it will stick, that it'll stay forever? Okay, so I'm, she's going to falter over those six months, she's not going to be perfect. But if there's absolutely no change, she's not doing anything, then I have to say, okay, what happened here? I, I, I want you to grow. I, I don't know, you know, where, where are we at? So you want to challenge and evaluate yourself. Okay, I'm going to move this. There's the notes on Boomer. Okay, here's the next five things. You're going to love this. This is the five things you don't say. These are five things you do not say. Let's not talk about that. When she says, I'm having a problem with porn. You can't say, I never did that before. I, I don't know. Or, or, or uh, can we not talk about that? that? That's so gross. Okay? You don't say that. In your relationship, you want to say anything's limit. As a matter of fact, when we do Q&A, you go ahead and be thinking. Anything you want to ask me. I will talk to you about, okay? Because you have to do it. They're being made to talk about it, right guys? When you're at work, man, they're talking about everything. And you're like, oh Lord, forgive me for hearing that. I, I didn't need to hear that, okay? But at work, that's one thing where she can walk away, but she, shouldn't, she should be able to work and talk to us about anything or he in the case. I'll give you an example. I had a, a friend's daughter, millennial, who thought she wanted to move to Nashville and everybody wants to move to Nashville. So she came down to visit and I showed her around and I said, okay, we, it just so happened that her visit that time, there was a terrorist attack in New York. And I said, what do you think? And she said, you want to talk about that? I said, yeah. What? She said, I, nobody talks about it. So we kind of like all murmur it at work, but we don't want to offend anybody in the office, so we don't talk about it. Oh, and then she just started to just let it all hang out, tell me how she's so fearful when she's walking home and, and you know, um, 
you just don't understand, she said. You don't understand. I'm single. I said, I get it. Most of my girls are single, so it's okay. She said, no, you don't understand. All the married ladies, even if they're scared, they're going home and talking to their husband about it. But I got to go home, even from church, I got to go home and I have nobody to talk to about, I didn't really like what the pastor said, or I don't really understand what's going on. That's where the mentor or the discipler fills in the gap until God sends that person for her to marry or whatever the case may be. So you want to make sure you do that. Okay, and there is Gen X. Okay, that was number one. Number two is you do not want to say this word, impossible. (laughs) Impossible, you can't do that. You can't get a new job. Impossible. Number three, I've, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good at that. I, I don't need to. And then you just don't confess or you don't share what you really, your fears are. You know, you, you need to share. I'm not asking you to um, expose everything, but I'm just saying you do need to share. Number four is I hope you grasp my way of thinking. Uh, I hope that you understand and you'll just start doing it the way I said. Okay. We do not, th- do not be offended, but we don't need another Jamie and we don't need another any of you. We don't need a clone. That is not God. That God created them. What we're doing when we disciple one-on-one is we're helping them become the person God created them to be. And then they have the freedom in Christ to say, oh, and you know, this person, she was my cheerleader and my encourager. She poured into me. She never told me what to do. She led me to the person who could tell me what to do, which, which was Jesus Christ. And that's what's really important important. Okay. Then number five is I'm pretty busy. We don't have a lot in common. So how about if we meet once in a while? So again, you've put them off. Okay. Even if you are busy, you don't need to say that. If you were really hurting ladies and you went to your very best friend and she said that to you, that's not a best friend. Okay. So we don't want to say that. We, you could be busy, but you can say, well, you know what? Right now, my schedule is crazy. So how about next Monday? See how I did that? I said, yep, it is crazy. You're right. But how about next Monday? And then you set it up. Okay, so what do you say? Here are five things you do say. Okay, and then we'll, um, then I have a surprise for you. Okay, uh, number one, I'm in this for life. I'm with you for life. I have women that I have mentored and... Um, there are times when I just got a, a call from someone in Pennsylvania who said, Jamie, I just, I, I can't find a mentor in my church. Can you just mentor me until I do? I said, do, do you know I love you? And I will do this long distance. But to say God can't provide for you is just not my thinking. So I'm, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to do this and we're going to walk through this situation, but I'm praying for you to let me go because you have a mentor that's face-to-face that can meet you in the hospital if you need to. Because, you know, I'm down here. I can't. And she immediately, I would say, oh, it might have taken two and a half weeks. And she sent me quick a note. Oh, my gosh, such and such said she would. And that's how it goes. Number two, let's, let's explore a new possibility. Let's explore a new possibility. This is when you're saying, mm, I don't know that we should go that way. So let's try a new, po- what would be, and then you would move them there. You never want to tell them, you know, dummy, you know, don't do that kind of thing. This is what's really exciting about pouring into a millennial. 
is that I'm sitting there and I'm talking to somebody and I might even know the answer to her question. So if I tell her the answer, then I win. That's not discipleship. So what you have to do is you have to sit there and love them and encourage them, give them scripture, move in there, pray with them, but be patient. Because if the person on the other end figures out what God wants them to figure out, they win. And then they grow. But if you tell them the answer and you don't stretch them, they won't grow. And that's the whole purpose of this. And this may be so foreign to you, so I apologize if I'm going too fast. But, okay, number three. What would you like to discuss today? Those are scary words for some people. But what would you like to discuss today? I know we're sitting down here and we've got, oh, 55 minutes. What would you like to discuss? And then you let them share. Because believe me, for the most part, they come and they know what they want to talk to you about. So for about an hour, you get together. Okay, and then number four is, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? Nobody asks that anymore. Um, I don't know where you stand or if you liked or cared for Jerry Falwell. But my oldest went to Liberty University. So I ha had the pleasure of, you know, knowing him, seeing him at a lot of stuff. He was a dreamer. He had a dream and talked to God about standing in the woods saying, God, I want to meet. I just want to reach the young generation. I don't want them to struggle on their college campuses. Give me the opportunity and I'll take it. And look at him, his, you know, Liberty University now. I don't know if you know this or not, but he spent as much money taking care of his family as he did his school. When he died suddenly of a heart attack, he, he had a, um, a life insurance policy that took care of his wife. He also had a life insurance policy that took Liberty University completely out of debt. He said, I'm not going to leave you with my mistakes. You'll have to make your own. And she, he left the university to his sons. Um, and of course, that putting them completely out of debt set them up. Now they still have to pay bills. You know, that was just taking care of debt, but it still takes thousands and millions of dollars to run a, a school that big. But what an incredible legacy to leave, to say, I'm not leaving you with my mistakes, whatever they are. So he left them completely debt-free. Now, why did I bring that up? Because he dreamed. He had a vision. And we sometimes sit and we forget. So I want to just stop right now, and I want to look at each one of you. I want to let you know, God knows whatever you're dreaming about, and he cares about it. Maybe you're thinking about being, having a, um, a bakery business. Maybe you're thinking that you could just really blog. Maybe some of you are saying, I just know God's going to send me my, my mate. Whatever the case may be, dream and dream big and serve a God that's big because he wants to answer your prayers. And that's what sets him apart that he answers prayer. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then the fifth thing out of all that is, I can't wait. This is what you're going to tell him. And this has to be from the gut. I can't wait for you and I to grow together. See that all of a sudden you put yourself in this relationship. You're saying, I'm going to grow too. I'm just not here as the teacher. We're going to grow together. So now before we do the next thing, I do have to tell you about the Gen Zers. Now that's on your paper there. We don't want to skip them. Okay, the Gen Z. Um, these people are 17 and under from 1998 to about 2014. So their keyword is tech savvy multitask. Their influence is they have war and terror at home. 
Um, they have a very high-level technology, the Afghanistan war. Their statement is, we can make a difference, and they're determined to do that. Um, they only know a world of technology. They will be the most educated ever. They're conservative in most of their thinking and diverse. Now, I know you, the newspapers and the media isn't telling you that, but we are seeing the biggest push, praise God, against abortion. And it is because of the uh, younger, 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 younger millennials and Gen Z. They get it. They, they, they are understanding. Okay, wait a minute. So <clears throat> that's very exciting. So um, Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So I don't, when I go around and I train um, churches how to mentor and I, I train mentors first, then I train the mentees, what they should expect and what they need. And then we put them together and I run all kinds of uh, practices and that kind of thing. But I don't, I, I know the one thing I need to do, and all of you are in ministry, so none of you are scared about anything. I know that. You're not nervous, but sometimes you are. So I've brought along a mentee with me. Emily, come on up. So Emily, my sweet Emily, um, if I am working in the area where, I'm, where I live, I always bring one of my best friends with me, and we mentor in front of you. If I am out of state, which... Like when I went up to state New York, um, people say I'm crazy, but I just say, could I have a volunteer from the audience? And they come up. <laughs> yes, you be a guinea pig. And when they come up, see, the, and I have to tell the audience this, you're, you're the, I'm at a disadvantage. You know this person. You know their life story. You know everything about them. So, you know, I don't know. I'm just going on. This is the very first time I've ever met this person. Well, that's not the case. Emily and I have been together maybe six or more years. Six, six and a half years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she moved here from Memphis. Mm -hmm. And we met at a church gathering here at Brentwood. Yes, yes. Kairos. Mm -hmm. And we were in Bible study together. You were leading our Bible study. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had... Shortly after we started Bible study, you and I went to dinner to talk about a chapter, and the questions that you asked were so different than, I was right out of college, so it was so different than my mom or a friend asking me, and it was just something special, and you said, well, we can get together like this often, and so I think about six and a half years, our mentor relationship took <laughs> off. Yes. So the, I should tell you, I, what, the group she's talking about, I had millennials come to my house for eight years. Um, I fed them dinner and then we did a Bible study and then every one of the girls that were in there and we rotated, it was eight, sometimes 12, sometimes, you know, some of those would change over the years because millennials change jobs and move. So, um, but I would meet with every person in that Bible study. There is no way for me to know these women in a Bible study of eight. There's no way. So, you know, and, and I'm doing the Bible study for life. So I know I'm going to meet with them, not like once every week, but I'm going to meet with them so I can hear their heartbeat um, and they can share with me. So, so we're going to invite you in on a 12-minute little conversation. Now, I, she and I have talked, but we haven't, I don't know what she's going to do. So I just, this is going to be as close to what would be real as we could get, right? So, right. So we talked on the phone Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. You were still traveling and I was at work and we were just catching up learning you know, things were kind of going well. Um, 
doing this leadership class before work on Thursdays, and and once a Saturday, one Saturday a month, we do a tour of something in Nashville. So I'm learning a lot from this. I feel like growing a lot. Work is going well. Um, my social life, and so we had this call. I was like, Jamie, what do you want me to talk about? I don't really th- think I have anything going on. And you said, Well, don't tell me. We'll just figure it out when you're there. And then. You know, Wednesday came and I was like, oh, the Lord gave me something easy for Jamie to handle because I feel like I struggled with this when I moved here six years ago. But yesterday I realized that a few days have added up since I've gone to my workout class and I just feel like a few things have piled up at work, which these are minor things, but by 12 noon, I felt like I just was kind of in a a puddle of shoulds. Um, Really struggling being in my late 20s single here in Nashville. It's it's a lot of fun, but I think there's a lot of temptations in the dating world, and I feel like I struggle with insecurities with that. preparing for Thanksgiving in a few weeks, getting together with family, a lot of detailed questions from family, things are getting heightened and stressful at work. Um, so I feel like this all just culminated in struggle with the shoulds and I feel like I'm just, I should be better at this, I should be better at that, I should have gone to this and I just kind of felt like I was in a little bit of a puddle and kind of just low and, and bummed. And so tell me something else. So were you at work, were you dealing with any junk at work? Is it a heavy time at yeah, work? What's yeah, yeah, it is. It is. We're we're going through towards the end of the year. We do budgets and um, and prepare for things happening in January. So yeah, I felt like I was getting a lot piled in on me. And well, I know you're doing the leadership class, and that's a yeah. Christian thing. So that's cool. Right. right Lots of right. reading. But how are you and God doing? Yeah, I feel like that's the first thing that gets pushed to the side. Um, You know, honestly, I feel like the shoulds go first. I need to read this. I need to go to this. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I think, and they are, they're they're things to glorify God. And I hope what I do at my job glorifies the Lord. Um, But I think the quiet time with him is the first thing that gets pushed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have something that comes not from God, but that false guilt. You know, the residual guilt that comes and just lays us on it. And why is that? Why? Why, what are we doing here? Because, you know, we did that great book. Mm-hmm. Of, I know. I said, this is six years ago. Okay, so we should tell them. Yeah, so a workbook called Telling Yourself the Truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's great that we yeah. worked on together. It's not a new thing, but you need to get it. Telling Yourself the Truth. And then there's also telling your children to tell themselves the truth. But, okay. but often we have to, Jamie reminds me, I need to dust that off. take it off the shelf and dust it Mm -hmm. off. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's just a a constant struggle where I feel like I'm disappointing God. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're not. See, that's not truth. Okay. And also on top of that, everyone at the office knows who you are in Christ. Right, right. Right. I mean, they tell you over and over again, oh, Emily. And then they try to hook you up with someone because you are such a great Christian woman. (laughs) And they want to do that, right? Drives you crazy. Too much. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So, um, so I know because I know you're leaving here. She was so kind to do this for me no, before I'm she excited. leaves. This I'm, is amazing. Well, but you're doing it and leaving right from here to go for a birthday. It's a surprise trip. I don't know where I'm going. My sister's in the parking lot now. So. <laughs> she felt, you know, like, oh, I, the week is ending. I need to, you know, get my stuff together. I'm missing work on Friday and you know, the, the rush of the week and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. am I disappointing God? No. And let's, let's talk about at least somebody mm-hmm. in the Bible that maybe mm-hmm. faced that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we have 
tons of people you and I talk about all the time, but you know, Joseph knew without a doubt, right? right? right. That God told him to, you know, do all of these things and that he would be emulated, that he would be at the top and his brothers would bow to him, but he didn't see all that right away. So I wonder, um, what has God been telling you about who you are? And because, you know, we took a long time getting to this leadership program. Right, right. And it's a big deal. I mean, a lot of people want to get in, but you were selected. And so um, that, that really tells you who you are, your identity. And when you think of Emily, mm-hmm. what do you think? What's the first thing that pops into your mind if you're going to describe yourself? Well, I, I think... Um you know, child of God, and I want to be confident in, in Him. So I feel like when I'm feeling good and doing well, those are the things I think of. Mm-hmm. So not, but not when you're not doing well, when it's right. not together. No, yeah. Ooh, so that might be perfectionism and a little, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, yes. But you know what? We absolutely, we're kind of funny, aren't we? Because we want control, but we know God's in control, right, right? right? So what are you going to do? like today as you go on this trip mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you, you're still going to have to come back to work right and it's going to be crazy right My you've got looming <laughs> and you have all the reading for the leadership program right 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 so what can you do what how can i help you today how can we like have a, a mindset that you really enjoy your sisters and you mm-hmm. enjoy your mm-hmm. birthday weekend um i'm thinking about the verse of taking thoughts captive mm. i think that's one that we mm-hmm talk about a lot but I think those are just I'm getting kind of mm-hmm. brought down by those voices of guilt that aren't God's voice right um, so maybe taking those ca- thoughts captive and, mm-hmm. and being really aware of that mm-hmm. the one that came to my mind was Galatians 6 9 let us not grow weary right let us not grow weary in doing good right right good yeah for at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So how can, have you been listening uh, to any Christian music? Uh, you know, we yeah, talked about yes. that. I've been trying to have <clears throat> three hymns that I listen to when I'm kind of getting down to kind of turn on and just know that these three hymns usually kind of get me back in line with the spirit and feeling positive. So in the last four or five days, have you done that? Oh, I haven't. Ah, okay. Cheetos back up. Okay, so, (laughs) okay. Now, how about your time with the Lord? Have you had like five minutes of no, I need you, uh, you know, I need this, 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 Lord, but just some quiet time where you're just sitting and and he's talking? Yeah, probably not in the last two or three days when I feel like these feelings have really culminated. And so I hope this weekend that I have that time. I mean, I need to have that time. Rephrase the hope. I will have that time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, no. I, I wanna. I just wanna tell you now. Yeah. You are not in that boat alone. Right. So I was in Seattle for a week. I was trying to do a whole lot with my husband, but then I was also trying to write. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I was also trying to um, hear from God. Yeah. Getting ready for this. Mm-hmm. And about midway through there, he said, uh, "This is all nice, but what about just you and me?" Yeah, yeah. Just what, don't ask me for anything. Just could you just love on me? And I so see you're not alone. I'm much older than you. <laughs> Twice your age. So, oh my gosh. So, so you're not alone. You you can, you have to understand that we and and everyone in this room could nod their head and say, "Yeah, I totally. I right, totally right, get it." Right? right? So, I want to encourage you and I'm we're going to be praying that you have this great time this weekend. 
but now now so we're going to stop now just stay right here okay. do you have any questions now for um yes go no i would do okay. anything for no Disney. wait listen all of them all of them love jesus and I would do anything no 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 no, no. and i will protect you no, no, we're good. <laughs> yes ma'am go ahead well first of all i have a relationship with her so the, my, I don't think you asked me that in the beginning. No, I, right. I, I don't ask them in the beginning. I do, Never. a lot of times, I will almost at the beginning say, how are you and God doing? You may have heard that. And you're welcome to take that if you want. How are you and God doing? Not how are you doing. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's how are you and God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, accusatory. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that she wants to grow. That's why she's doing what she does, all that she does. So what I was trying to do is to pour into her and to have her remember where she's at. Because, you, know, you know, we didn't start with, I'm not meeting with God. You know, I'm right. not listening to my music. Right, right, you know, right. We didn't start with that. So I wanted to try. I waited, but I'm only under, you know, so much time. So I, I wanted her to, <laughs> if she was going to say it, okay. But if she wasn't. This is the thing where you have to be bold enough. You don't, you don't want to leave that go. So someone else. Well, yes. And I'm assuming you, these are so yeah, the la- like you just, no. I'm assuming you've talked about those things before. Mm-hmm. Just you know, the last session, um, I told her um, that part of the way that I get through um, lifting myself out of the pit, um, I'm a very joyous, encouraged Barnabas, <laughs> but I have the biggest pits. Okay, so, you know, so I'm just saying, to, in order to get me out of the pit, I have to listen to, like I told her, I have certain three songs, you know, Giants Fall, which is Francesca Battistelli, will change your life, so don't miss that song, um, but, the, and then I said, what's yours? And so she, she listed a couple, and then that's what's on her play, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is to teach them, uh, just like my mentor did me, I can't be there for you, so, you know, how are you going to get out of the pit with the Lord on your own, so... Yes. Okay, sure. That's kind of how it starts. (laughs) And so it's kind of starting to feel like that is the next step. Now, there are two places I take them. I say you need to mentor someone else. And then the next thing is you need to lead a Bible study, which is what she did last summer. Right, right. Yes, yes. That leading Bible study. Yes. Um, Well, no, we we say uh, we do talk about time. We Mm -hmm. need to try and begin and end on time. Um, We like to set up our next appointment before we leave. It's always flexible. It can always change, but we set up the next time. And then we also, um, not right now, but like when we were doing telling yourself the truth, we came back, she knew. Right, when you're doing more intensive stuff, like, oh, we're going to do a workbook together. Yeah, so one chapter every week. So she would come. Do you um, well, we did in the beginning, yeah. yeah. yeah um, but as as they get more mature, they don't they don't need to have every week. Um, no, I just they know. I mean, you if you share with them, you're going to pour into them for the rest of your life. Who's going to run away from that? So yeah, and so if they do, I totally understand that. Now I don't leave yet. Okay, I just want to let you know they have eight food trucks outside for you to get your dinner. But what I'll do if you want, if you have more questions for me, go get your dinner and come right back up here, and I'll just wait for you and and I'll talk to you about your questions. So let's just real quick, um, thank you. Let's have applause for Ellen. Hey, may you be bold enough. 
bold enough to be vulnerable. May you be brave enough to reach out to a millennial. And then may you grow by doing all of this. May you grow in the Lord and you reach out to millennials and come back and I'd love to answer your questions. Thank you. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. The message you just heard was from Grace and Truth Living's track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Download their free PDF giveaway that has 42 printable scripture memory cards. It's at discipleship.org slash grace and truth. You'll find dozens of other great resources for discipleship at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.